Hey, you. Yeah, you, the one listening to this podcast right now. I'm guessing you tune into Docs Outside the Box because taking control of your career is really important to you. Now, our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts that are ready to guide Docs just like you through today's job landscape. They've also got exclusive access to hundreds of positions nationwide. So whether you're looking to dive deeper into your specialty work or let's keep it real, you're trying to find a healthier work-life balance, it's important to start the conversation with them right now. Contact them at info.psdconnect.org forward slash docs outside the box. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. It's another episode of Docs Outside the Box. Listen, we've got Molly Bell. She is a provider recruiter at Provider Solutions and Development. That is the organization that we're teaming up with uh, for sponsorship, but also with a way to guide you all as listeners on the proper ways and the most uh, ways with leverage, I want to use, that you can find yourself the job that you need, the job that you deserve. So Molly Bell, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So listen, there's a lot we can talk about. Um, We can talk about uh, how to find the right job. We can talk about how to negotiate the right salary. Um, But today we're going to talk about the income pay gap that unfortunately still exists um, between women and men. Correct. And you actually wrote an article or a series on PSND, Providing Solution and Development's website, on how we can, or at least women providers, can really start the game off on the right foot, um, which is negotiating for themselves and so forth. So I got some statistics here. Give me one second. So there's a couple of studies. Uh, There's a study that was written by Health Affairs. This came out December of 2021. And it says that female physicians earn an estimated $2 million less than male physicians over a simulated 40-year career. You guys that can is check. insane. That's crazy. You guys can check that out on Health Affairs. I didn't make that up, so don't th- come after me in these streets. I didn't make it up either. Right. We didn't make that up, <laughs> so it's in the streets. It's in the show notes. You can go check that out. It's Health Affairs. It was volume 40, number 12, Hospitals, Workforce, Equity, and more. You can go and check that out. If you check out Medscape, and I know everybody here watches or listens or reads something from Medscape, um, in their uh, article that talks about physician incomes begin to recover from the pandemic, it's a survey. There's a our portion where they talk about how the gender pay gap uh, still exists between men and women, obviously, which is a major issue. But they found that in Medscape's 2012 survey, male primary care providers earn 23% more than their female counterparts. In 2021, men edged slightly more ahead, earning 25% more than women. So think about that. In 2012, men Primary male primary care providers earn 23% more than their female counterparts. Nine years later, it's 2% worse, y'all. So we got an issue, right? And so, you know, you think about it, Title IX is coming up. Major issues with Title IX, major, major legislation with Title IX is coming up during uh, these next several months. So it's really interesting how Title IX works out and what it did with federally mandated programs that um, helped women, particularly in sports, women, particularly in the workforce, you know, how that plays into what's going on right now and what we see with the pay gap. And then there was another study, but I can't find it right now. Who cares? But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this. Yes. You know, let's, let, let's jump into this because I think that um, oftentimes we have to talk about what's going on. I think we know what's going on. But for me, I kind of see this as there's like this type of unspoken reason why women 
get paid less than men? Do you know why? I have my thoughts, so I'll let you go first. Well, I, you know, that's a great question, but, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts, but ultimately I think, and I don't know how to say, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and say it, but I think sometimes as women, we get put in a box of being scared to ask for things because we just have been ingrained that we should feel lucky to be in the room. Um, And I think it just perpetuates. And I think sometimes it's just easier for men to come to the table and fill and ask um, for what they want, which is great, but I don't always feel like women always feel the same way. Um, so I think just right off the bat, those are my first thoughts, but what do you think? I think that there is some type of unspoken, unspoken notion. I don't, obviously this is not real. This is, there's an unspoken notion. There's an unspoken thought among people who make decisions uh, when it comes to who gets paid more than others that, Women are not motivated by money. I think that's what it is. I, yeah, I'm not, that's a great point. I don't think it's real. I Sorry, I don't think it, it makes sense. I just think that the, yeah. the people who make decisions are like, oh, well, she's not motivated by money. Let's do X, Y, and Z. Um, or um, if someone who comes very assertive to them, you know, they're more willing to give them what they ask for. But for a woman, you know, I think they find that, well, if we offer some type of pushback possibly, or if we make it very difficult, or like you said, you have someone coming in with hat in hand, you know, the the employee or whoever is in charge feels like they can offer less because they feel like the employer or excuse me, the employee or the woman physician or provider is already thinking that they need less anyway. Do you I'm feel not, like they're still the the breadwinner as far as males being the breadwinner? So there's that notion there too. Absolutely. I mean, it's. I think it's there, and I think that obviously, I think for several years now, more women that more women are matriculated in college. More women, I think, are equal mm-hmm. in terms of medical school. It's equal, or it's a little bit more on women's side. So obviously, in this situation, women are way more aggressive um, uh, in 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 studying sciences, mathematics, uh, and obviously in medicine. Um, so a lot of those uh, notions should be dispelled at this point, but they still persist, which lets you know what's really going on here. What who is trying to protect this, and what does that mean? And I put "who" in quote, "who" in quotes, <laughs> but um, the the most important thing is that this pay gender gap you know, still exists and it's unfortunate. So let's, let's jump into it. So when you are yeah. talking, when a doctor yeah. calls you, um, yeah. a really badass woman physician calls you, what's, <laughs> what's the process? What's the process yeah. that you take them through? Yeah, absolutely. So in my role, I really am the liaison. So I'm the first contact when you are looking for a position. So to be, I currently recruit in Portland. So you're looking for a hospitalist job in Portland. I'm your girl. Um, they just shameless plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You could toot your own horn here. It's okay. <laughs> um, but you know, I help them through the interview process and I'm always happy to look over CVs for any, you know, just any feedback I can have or provide. That's what I do all day long. Um, but really when it comes down to the contract negotiation piece, I work very closely with the medical directors and the partners that are in the hiring group. Um, so I feel like I'm the liaison between both, um, you know, both of the physician and the group. Um, so really just when it comes down to the negotiation piece and the contract piece, the group I work for, um, the hospital system I work for right now, it's very gender, gender, but not gender. I would say, I guess, just backing up, they have a very set rate. So there's not a ton of salary negotiation, if any at all. So that makes it very 
easy as far as making sure that everyone's being equally paid. Um, but really there's other options too. Like when I have a provider that wants maybe a lower FTE or a higher sign on bonus when they start, um, bringing in that to the group and just bringing, you know, the reasons why and um, looking at what we can do. And that's my role is I make sure that while the requests that are being asked, I'm bringing it to the group and making sure that, um, you know, just seeing what we can do um, and just being that support system throughout and being that cheerleader because I always say just ask. There's no, no hurt in ever asking. Here's a tip when looking for your next job. Understand your strengths and weaknesses. For example, if you've been practicing for a while and you know you have a problem with closing charts, then it's important that you find a place that's going to help you have administrative help, right? So there are plenty of options when it comes to your career in medicine. But just like every patient is different, every physician has their own personal definition of success. And that's where our sponsor steps in. Provider Solutions and Development doesn't bring just one answer for all. They are recruitment experts focusing on who you are before helping you find what you're meant to be. So whatever you're ready for next, they'll help you find it with no quotas, no commissions to get in the way. So even if you're looking for a more collegial feel at work or just, heck, a more healthier work-life balance, they can help find the right fit for you. So reach out today at info.psdconnect.org forward slash docs outside the box. Well, let's let's focus on salary because I know you yeah. say a lot of a lot of facilities, particularly larger facilities, uh-huh. have like these standard contracts yep. and have the like these standard, um, I'd say pay scales or at least pay ranges, so to yes, speak. Yes, exactly. However small they may be, mm-hmm. um, do you think that like we should be looking at these? these salaries more like how we look at car prices and their sticker prices, like MSRP, (laughs) right? Like this is the suggested uh, salary or is it like hard on, like you can't go from them? Because I've I've always been told that human resources has to always offer a range. That's never just like one number, right? For your salary. Yeah. And it can really depend on the specialty as far as, you know, years of experience being in play with that. But for example, the hospitalist group I work with right now, it is the straight salary that everybody across the board, no matter no matter how many years of experience, everyone's making that rate. Um, of course, there's production bonuses that go in that as well. So it can always, you know, fluctuate just with how much you're working and all of that good stuff. But from my perspective and my experience, I think that it keeps things level. It keeps things from getting out of control that 10 years down the road, you're realizing you're making less than your counterparts due to just, just look, just those ranges. Yeah. It it catches up quickly y'all. So according to like some of these articles, like it really, where you want to jump in is really at the salary point. And I agree with you, the other, I guess, fringe benefits are important also, but what these articles say is if you don't negotiate for what you really want, or if you're unaware that there is some, there's range there's room to kind of negotiate. What these studies show is that even though your salary will increase over time, that gender pay gap still kind of exists. As your salary goes up, the gap between you and a man may stay the same or may increase as that person, as that male is um, 
is pushed, you know, as they're climbing the ladder also. Um, so, you know, I, I also think that another notion also is, and this is more, I think, a little bit more chauvinistic, I think, obviously, and more paternalistic in how we look about things. But I think that there are also people who try to justify a, low, a lower salary or try to just justify um, the pay gap as just saying that, you know, women get pregnant more possibly. Um, they take more sick leave. They take more just leave in general. Um, you know, so I think that, um, what are things that women can do or if you can think of things that women can do to proactively combat these like unspoken excuses to keep a gender pay gap going on? I think uh, that's a, you know, fighting words as far as, you know, (laughs) what we can do. But I think in what I really push anybody I'm working with, residents, experienced candidates, it doesn't matter. I feel like the negotiation part can be very intimidating. It is just for me coming down to always ask. It never hurts to ask. And do not, if you're already to the point where you've been offered a contract, I mean, in extreme circumstances, maybe they'll revoke it, you know, for what, you know, X, Y, and Z, um, maybe. But as far as when it comes to negotiations, they're not going to they're not going to take away your contract or your offer because you asked for something. So I think just continuing to push and ask for what your needs are. And again, the worst that can happen is that you'll be told no. Yeah, I think that um, residency is a very abnormal experience. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Medical school and residency is a very abnormal experience. Their entire time in medical school, you feel like you could be replaced. In residency, you definitely feel like you just got in. Luckily, this computer system happened and there was like a glitch in the system in the matrix and you just (laughs) happened to match at your program and you just feel like there's always people knocking at your door. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. I kind of feel like people still feel the same way. And I think when it's time to become an attending, those, uh, I guess, like trauma, imposter syndrome, the feeling that you can be replaced, that's really hard as hell to like get past. And I think it's it becomes really hard to feel like you're in the driver's seat when you spent the yeah. last either five years, maybe even more, eight years feeling like, hey, this can change. This is unstable. And I really don't feel like I have leverage. And we're telling you guys, like, you have the leverage right now. Yep. So I agree with you, Molly. Like, if if the salary is not negotiable, then there's other things that are negotiable. And the most important thing is you just got to ask. Like, if you want to advocate for your patients— Right. How many times do you see that you need to advocate for your patients? And there are things that, you know, you see that may not be in a textbook or there's things that you see may not be happening that should be happening. You have to speak up. It's the same thing that has to happen with your own contract. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild, too. I mean, especially like you said, going, you know, coming out of residency, too. It's the first I mean, you're of course, you're applying for things along the way, but this is your first, you know, situation of negotiation and, you know, a large salary and all that good stuff. Um, I think it is critical and I, not to, you know, change um, gears really in this conversation, but I think just making sure early on in your residency, making sure your CV is exactly how you want it and just getting all your ducks in a row in that situation um, and feeling empowered. The job market is hot right now, as far as openings go and, you know, what, the demand for physicians is right now and be feel empowered about that. I think that's a huge factor too. Yeah. So I guess as we're recovering from COVID, uh, you know, hospitals are hiring a big time yeah. again and there's a huge amount of shortages. I think yeah. what a significant amount of people, doctors who were kind of leaning towards retirement, they weren't mm-hmm. there yet. 
but they were leaning towards retirement and were like, man, deuces, I'm out. And they retired. <laughs> so now the shortage, you know, the physician shortage is worse than before, folks. So y'all need to use this to your advantage. It's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. So I, I know you mentioned that salary, we may not necessarily look at it like how we look at a car sticker, right? You may not be able to have a significant amount of leeway changing things there. But I think a lot of people really don't think that they can negotiate how many, how much of an FTE yeah. there is. Can you explain FTE, how that works, what's one, 0 0.5? Take us through Absolutely. all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 1.0 FTEs full-time, typically, I mean, you can think about, you know, five days a week um, or doing four tens, or I'm sure that doesn't actually, you know, how, with how much you guys work, it doesn't actually, if you do that. <laughs> More but. like seven days a week. <laughs> yeah. That's a 1.0. Uh, so yeah, full-time. And then, you know, as you go down to a 0.8 um, or a 0.5, I mean, really the biggest difference is of course what your wages are, but also maybe your benefits might look a little bit different or things like that. But your hours will drastically decrease too. And that's a huge thing too. And I think what really with the pandemic, what we've realized too, is that family is very important and maybe work life is looking different for you now these days and what you're looking for as far as um, your career goes. So for example, I just helped hire a provider, um, uh, a physician who has small children and really it had nothing to do I mean, of course, salary, but she really was like, I just want to focus on my family as well. And, you know, I, we brought, worked with the team and her partners, um, the hiring partners, and we got her down to a point eight FTE. And that was just something that was very important to her. And she was a great provider. And so we negotiated that process and, um, yeah. So I think just those are other factors too, besides salary of just what you can bring to the table and ask if, you know, it's just about what's important to you and what, what you want your work life to look like. Yeah. So folks, you know, what we're saying is, is if you are, you know, if you take a job and it's one FTE, that means that's a full-time equivalent. Like you are working as a full, how they expect a full-time employee to work. So if you get to decrease that down to 0 0.8, well, maybe that may relate to you maybe taking, I don't know, three out of four weekends, you know, or I don't know how that works, but basically it's less than how a full-time employee may work. This happens all the time. This happens a lot in trauma where you may have a trauma medical director. This trauma medical director is going to all these different meetings related to the program, and they may have in their contract that they're only going to work 0.8 of the time of call or clinical, and then the rest, 0.2, is for their trauma medical position or whatever it may be. This happens with people who do research. This happens with people who may have some type of academic position where it's less than one FTE. And it allows them to do research. So half of their time is spent towards doing research. And maybe the other half is doing some clinical work, taking some extra call, what have you. But, yo, there is room here, y'all, where you can, you know, take, you know, uh, take a little bit of a, a haircut, I guess, off of the, the amount of time that you're working clinically. And maybe it shows up in your salary, but also at the same time, the gains that you get from a happier life or a more balanced life. One of those things you can't you can't quantify. And I, nope. I think that's huge. I wish someone had told me about that earlier. My wife, actually, um, she took, uh, she was very adamant that her first job, she wanted to be a part-time employee. And I was like, look, man, we got like $600,000 alone. You better take that <laughs> full-time money. 
right? Like we need this money. But one thing that she <laughs> mentioned is, is <laughs> it's the truth, Molly, right? One of the things that uh, that we I didn't think about is this was our first time being married. Obviously, we just got married, um, and being she being full time OB is like full time cardiology. It's like full time neurosurgery, which is not like full-time trauma. Like full-time trauma is shift work, mm-hmm. right? When I'm done, I'm done. Yeah, I got to go back for the emergencies, but it's not like full-time OB mm-hmm. where you're attached to your pager. You're in clinic all day. People who are listening, you know what I'm talking about. So she thought, well, having that type of experience and also just being married, we would just be doing this, right? Like we would just be missing each other. Hi, bye, possibly, you know, a weekend together, maybe. So she decided to go part-time and I questioned that big time. I was like, no, we need that money. You need to go full time. But it actually ended up being the smartest decision that she made for our okay. relationship. And also at the same time, you look back and I'm like, I didn't know that you could negotiate that, that you could <laughs> decide, oh, well, I really, I know you're you're looking for a full-time employee. I can only give you half time. You going to take it? So <laughs> now, now that I, I mentioned that. that, yeah, it, but it's true. So now that I mentioned that, s- since we got rid of salary and yep. then we also are talking about clinical time, mm-hmm. which relates to being a full-time employee, what other things do you think are negotiable? Yeah. I mean, other things to just add that you could, I mean, telehealth's a big thing that people are asking for right now. Um, and that's very specific. Of course, there's lots of state regulations as far as, you know, what telehealth opportunities are. Um, but I mean, uh, something to ask for if that's just, you know, what you're, what you're looking for, depending on what your specialty is. Um, can we treat it like football? Like, can we treat like your contract, like a football where we sign on bonuses and ask for more or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Always ask too. I mean, sometimes too, I think you should, I think you should always ask if there's student loan forgiveness options. And sometimes that's not always right on the table, but I mean, I think if it's a hard position to fill and they, I mean, I think that is definitely something everybody should always be asking for. You never know what might, ha- you know, what might ha- come out of that, um, you know, and what options are. I think the most recent studies show that I think anywhere between 40%, depending on which demographic, socio-demographic uh, area you come from, whether you're African-American, Latino, or Native American, you're going to have a significant amount of that tuition being paid for by student loans. Um, if you're white, then obviously it's a lower amount, but it's still a significant amount. I think they're saying the average amount of people graduating from medical school, including college, is about $240,000 of student loan debt. And with the physician shortage that's going on, folks, there are hospitals, there are regions, there are areas that are willing to pay for your student loan. And in my opinion, if I'm just saying this, but in my opinion, I know it may not be the company line. I actually, I don't like sign-on bonuses. I think that sign-on bonuses are golden handcuffs. Because in my experience, the majority of sign-on bonuses are loans. Yep. Right. Then they're, they're not back and- right that you got to pay back. So let's say you go there and you work at some place for a month, or you know you work someplace for a year, and you know your sign-on bonus says that you have to be there for two years or three years, and you really hate it. You have to give that money back um, in most uh, cases. So that's why for me, unless it's just like, yo, give me that money, and no matter what, it's my money. Then. <laughs> But the student loan payback, that for me is innumerable, right? Like it's student loans, you got to look at it almost like an income tax. That's how I look at it, right? It's an income tax. And if you can get someone to pay that down for you significantly in an efficient manner, I oftentimes tell people, you may want to get income, you may want to get student loan payback more so than even salary or 
Yeah. You know, whatever. Absolutely. I, I push that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I remember there was a story. Uh, my wife has a story. And I, I was kind of there at this institution also where I knew of, of a woman who was a chairperson of her department. Mm-hmm. She'd been working in that department for eight years. And then a uh, a new um, OB came in who was going to be under her, was making $50,000 less, or excuse me, $50,000 more than she was. And he was this person new? Well, he um, he had less experience than her, but he came in, you know, he wasn't like new, a new yeah. fresh grad. But, but new to this system. And Oh, yeah, no doubt. He was new to the system. Putting new to the time system. in. Absolutely. Making 50 grand more than she was. That was a problem. That's insane. Yeah. It's a problem. I do it's think that I do think that it really does come back to some unsaid notions. I don't think they're right or wrong. Or excuse me. I do. I think they're wrong, but mm-hmm. it's these these notions are not proven. You can't. How are you going to prove that? Right? Like you can't yeah. prove that a, that a woman actually values something more than a man. Like you can't prove it. You can say it, but you yep. can't prove it. But one thing that you can prove. One thing that I think is really interesting that I think women should use. Um, I know some women are using it, particularly in subspecialties, because I've seen them do this. But there's a study. There's multiple studies that come out and show that women actually have been proven to have better outcomes clinically than men. Interesting. Right? It's the and truth. It's backed by data. And if you can use this information, yes. if this information is out there, you might as well use this as part of negotiation and say, hey, listen, you know, it, it's it's showing that like this pay, excuse me, this gap that is going on, mm-hmm. right? I have the actual statistics that show clinically there's a gap right here and that I should be getting paid more than X, Y, and Z. Right. So I think that if they if women understood like the value that they bring to a workplace, I think that could change things, particularly in a negotiation. You just got to be able to use it. You got to be bold enough to use it. That's I my think thoughts. so, too. Yeah. I think so, too. And bringing you have that information, too. I mean, that is huge and a big thing that you can bring to the table. And yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. So in, in your ex- experience, because you, you work mm-hmm. with these residents, you work with these attendings who are looking to change. And they're looking for a position. Yeah. All right. We talked about, you know, obviously you, you can negotiate salary, possibly. Mm-hmm. You can negotiate how many, how long or how often you're working. So yeah. from a one FTE to maybe 0.5 FTE, that's possible. Yep. Paid vacation, possibly sign-on bonuses, things like that. Telehealth, those are all negotiable. And I, I think you mentioned that there was a time where a woman was, a job was being advertised as one FTE down to 0.8. Yep. What, do you have any exa- any other examples of how you saw like um, you, when you were advocating for a woman, you're like, mm, come on, step up, ask for this, ask for this. Like, can you give us an example of that? Absolutely. Well, and truly, I have had conversations where it's, and this has happened multiple times throughout my career, but just on the phone with a provider, um, a physician, APC, and just being like flat out saying, I'm sorry can I ask? And it's, I am a big proponent of always saying, please never, they're, ever. They're apologize. asking you, they're yeah. asking you if they can ask. Yes, exactly. And will they be mad at me if I ask, or will you be frustrated? And like, I'm, so, and it's like, oh my gosh, absolutely not. Always, always ex- again, going back to owning your power in that situation and never apologizing. But I think just looking at a situation and like you asked, I think it just is a huge, you know, I've just been in so many situations where I get, you know, apologies and um, feeling sorry, you know, feeling like they're bugging or anything like that. And it's just absolutely never the case. 
So what's the most egregious thing that you've been asked for? Like, it doesn't have to even be between a man and woman. Like, what's the most thing that you're like, I can't believe you're going to ask for this and they're probably going to get it. Like, have you ever been in that type of experience? Yeah, I have. And I probably just like a outrageous salary where, um, or just an outrageous ask where I'm like, there's no way this is going to be approved. And then it is. And you're, I'm out blown away. But again, it's a situation too, where you never know what will happen if you ask. So, Mm. yeah. So let's, let's, um, so with provider solutions development, when someone, when someone comes and works with you guys, let's say for example, hospital likes the doctor, doctor likes the hospital, go on interview, and then a contract gets sent, has the contract details, including salary and so Mm -hmm. forth. How long does... Or what happens next in terms of, you know, a physician being able to say, hey, you know what? I want to start negotiating that process. Is that through you guys or do yeah. they have to get their own lawyer? How does that work? No, absolutely. So really what before our contract's even made, we send a letter of intent that has all compensation on there. So before you, we even get to the contract phase, there's room for the negotiations and the asks. Um, and really, we're very transparent to sending out sample contracts and what the contract will look like before, you know, anything is even, um, you know, so that questions are, you know, being transparently asked the whole time. And people do often get um, times get lawyers and um, which I think is smart. I think there's, not, you know, it's a contract with, you know, like with anything, it's good to always have second eyes on it. Right. Um, but yeah. And then, so our process is, is then once, you know, we, everybody's decided on, you know, what the terms will look like. Um, we submit on our end for a contract to be drafted with those terms in there. And then, then it goes out. Yeah. Okay. And then how long do you think the, like the process of going back and forth with negotiation, how, how long on average, are we talking month, Yeah. three no. weeks? No, time is of the essence. I think okay. everyone's pretty aware in partners and us and our contracting team, everyone's very Johnny on the spot with it. I think it's, you know, credentialing timelines right now are wild. I think everywhere as far as getting um, providers on board, you know, onboarded and things like that. So I think just making sure that no one wants to delay anything. It impacts everybody when we do that. So I think just timeline wise, a week or two at the most, um, just depending. Sometimes if a lawyer is involved, though, it can be a little bit longer just with, you know, reviewing and things like that. Question for yeah. folks who've already graduated from residency. Uh-huh. We're talking about attendings, people who hate their jobs and they're looking for something else. And they, <laughs> you know, they're not trying to tell nobody, don't talk to anybody in my job. I'm looking for this, right? What's <laughs> in June? What kind of timeline are we looking at? Are Is the timeline the same looking for a job as does it follow like, you know, residency timelines or is it completely different? I think it's completely different. Really, it comes down to also what state licensure timelines are. So as far as um, just depending and especially with the pandemic, I feel like things really slowed down with processing um, with amount of licensure that was needed. Um, So really, it comes down to state licensure. If there's a, um, you know, if there's a time, you know, if that's being slowed down. So we're looking at like 120 days. So three or four months is, is basically our timeline. Y'all hear that, y'all? Three or four months. Make sure you save up that much in your emergency fund before you say a big <laughs> F you to your, to your current job. 
<laughs> right? But we we have a, we have a, a bunch of people who listen to the show who may be unhappy with their current position yeah. and are looking for a different position. And um, before they you know chuck the deuces, you want to make sure that you have something saved up from an emergency fund because it takes, like you said, that long for you probably to start looking for a job all mm-hmm. the way to being you know walking in the hospital with an ID badge that says that you're on call and you're going to start getting paid for that. So it takes a while. Yes. Um, so Molly, this is this was great. Thank you very yes, much. Thank you. I think that it's really important for us to not only speak generally and say, hey, everyone, you can negotiate your salary, you can negotiate mm-hmm. this and so forth. But I think it's really important for us to really talk about some serious, you know, inequities that occur yeah. in life. And one of them being there's a huge inequity between how women get paid and how much men get paid. And as you can see, and as the studies show over 40 years, I mean, this is $2 million possibly. And that's like at probably at basic. Like when we talk about subspecialties, neurosurgery, trauma surgery, plastic surgery, I bet you that number increases dramatically. Um, and it exists not just in medicine, obviously it exists definitely in IT um, and other fields. But I really appreciate you kind of diving deep with me in this situation. And um, I hope I didn't get you in too much trouble. Um, (laughs) I I, Absolutely not. But I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay. So if folks want to get in touch with you, they're like, hey, Molly, she's dope. I want to look for my next job. I want her to help me look for my next job. How do they get in contact with you? Absolutely. My email is molly.bell at psdrecruit.org. Guys, that will be in the show notes. Make sure you check that out. Once again, Molly Bell over here, we're talking about the women, uh, the pay gender pay gap in medicine, how it still exists and what you can and cannot ask for. In my opinion, women, y'all need to be aware of the value you bring to a workplace, especially in comparison with men. And you got studies to prove it. Y'all need to toot your own horn. Get that money. (laughs) Listen, everybody, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.